we strongly believe that our approach is all about sort of minimizing the complexity and, and the, the more layers of complexity you add on top of each other, the higher the risk of everything falling apart. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RAS Tech Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Hello again, listeners. My name is Jean Coden, editor of Hatchery International and Rastech Magazine. I am back again with my co-host, Brian Vinci, director of the Freshwater Institute. Hello, Brian. Hello, Jean. How are you doing today? I am doing good. I'm excited about this conversation that we had with Trond um, and of about salmon evolution. I don't know. I appreciate how generous he was in our conversations with him and it's not lost on me how important these conversations are with leaders in, in the industry and how important it could be for the industry to kind of continue sharing this knowledge and encouraging that more. Yeah, agreed. I mean, these are um, multi-million dollar companies and in Samuel Evolution's cases is listed on a public stock exchange as you discussed with him and and what that means for um, their information disclosures and how they deal with small upsets. And I thought that was an interesting part of the episode. I see salmon evolution as you know one of our shining success stories in the land-based salmon side. Um, although they're not fully recirculation, they use water reuse and are uh, looking for sustainable use of that water resource, which in their case is um, the near ocean environment. Um, I, I thought the way he described how they went about planning and building uh, was really interesting because they don't seem to have run into the same issues that some of the other uh, guests we've had on or, or projects we've talked about in terms of you know, permitting issues or, or local opposition and the construction and budget issues. Um, you can tell, you know, he rates his, uh, he rates the site at Indraharoi at uh, 10 out of 10. And you can tell the speed at which they were able to get into construction, complete construction, mm -hmm. and then produce their first harvest in the end of last year um, really must have been uh, in part due to that wonderful site. So um, I think the listeners will really appreciate hearing all the details that he shared uh, from okay. that planning process through the water reuse to your discussion about uh, the, the financial aspects. Yeah, and it's only going to get more exciting as Salmon Evolution kind of goes into their next phase. And, you know, he wasn't ready to share and the company's not ready to share about their North American expansion just yet. But we got a little bit of a snippet there. So let's get right to the episode so that our listeners can hear for themselves. So with that, I hope you enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Trond Hakon Skaug Peterson. Welcome to our podcast, Trond. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about Salmon Evolution. We appreciate you being here and, you know, taking the time. So welcome. Thank you. Can we start with an introduction to you and how you came to the company? Yeah. So uh, myself, I am um, I, uh, I'm married, happily married with three kids. Uh, I have a uh, background from uh, both the capital markets um, and, the, and the seafood industry. So I used to work uh, within investment banking for, for many years, um, also covering the 
the seafood uh, space and uh, ticket was back in 2016. I had a client, a Norwegian client called Hofset International. So I helped them acquiring a uh, farming, um, salmon farming company. Uh, and when that transaction was done, I uh, moved uh, over to the, the, the client and, and sort of got into the to the seafood industry on a full-time basis. And I stayed there for four and a half years, a very interesting time. And, and then in 2020, uh, I got the, the opportunity to join Salmon Evolution as um, CFO. Uh, and uh, this was, uh, it really intrigued me. Uh, I really uh, believed in in both the technology approach, the, the vision, and, and, uh, and uh, not at least the, the people behind the, the, the company. So, so I joined them in the fall of uh, 2020 and, as CFO and, and took over as CEO in uh, October uh, last uh, year. Yes, for sure. And as we get into the deeper details of the company, I want to give for our listeners who don't know, a little bit of an introduction on Salmon Evolution. And please correct me at any time if I get it wrong. But um, from what I've researched, Salmon Evolution is looking to build a facility with a, a grow-up facility with a total annual production capacity of 31,500 tons head-on gutted salmon. Is that right? Yeah, that's our, our first facility in, in Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the target date for the facility in Indra Haroi is that right? Indra Haroi, that's, uh, Norway, that's correct. Is um the target date for the full facility will be 2028? Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, and uh, phase one has, I think, fi- recently been finalized. Um, and providing an annual production of 7,900 tons. And now correct. we're looking ahead to phase two. That's and that's correct. Can you share with us a little bit about phase two and any new updates about what's going on there? Yeah, so, so so just to, to recap what you what you said. So so yeah. as a company, we we've, we've been around since two thousand seventeen. So so I, I think just to so for, um, a reflection on on sort of the lead times in this industry, it takes a long time to to plan and, and execute the project and then to to grow the fish. So so we started building phase one in in May twenty twenty. We put in our first fish in in uh, in March uh, last year and had our first harvest in. Uh, the, um, in the fourth quarter last year, and I mean now gradually ramping up uh, a production in phase one, which was fully completed in in April, uh, and uh, we are, will be at steady state uh, uh, by the end of uh, this year, which will give it the seven thousand nine hundred tons of annualized production you referred to, and and we have been uh, for some time been planning and preparing for phase two, which is another. Uh, 7,900 tons, so so that will take uh, production to 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 almost 16,000 tons in total, which I think is quite a sizable uh, sizable operation. Uh, phase two and phase one combined is 50% of the total project. So or phase two three, which will come after uh, phase two is completed, will so take it to almost 32,000. Uh, tons fully developed and and we have now signed a contract with the uh, uh, contractors uh, we're going to to use and and will over the coming months uh, continue with design and preparations uh, and then uh, the target is to, to sort of make the final investment decision and start building uh, by the end of uh, uh, this year uh, and um, we have done quite a lot already 
uh, we have done a lot of the groundworks, uh, excavation works uh, that's already completed. Uh, in phase one, we spent uh, 22 months from from start to, to finish, and, and obviously the ambition here is to to do it quicker in, in phase uh, two. Uh, and we've also done uh, a lot of work already on on the infrastructure and, and, and the groundwork. So so I think we we re we really look forward to to phase two. We we've had uh, yeah I would say uh, very good experiences uh, from from our production so far. Uh, we've had strong biological performance in in general, and and also really see that uh, it is possible to produce salmon on land. Uh, not only uh, in a very short period of time and, and not only up to a certain weight, but uh, actually all the way through to, to harvest weight. So, so we're just in the beginning still, but uh, very much looking forward to, to the time ahead. Yes, it's certainly exciting. And the company has spoken a lot about um, selecting this previously abandoned quarry in Indraharoi as the perfect place for this hybrid system that Salmon Evolution is building. And um, because you came into the company right when phase one was beginning, what were some of the conversations that you were part of in terms of the different factors that really sold this site for the company? Yeah, I think uh, Indrahari is uh, is unique, uh, and it's probably not a lot of Indraharis around. Uh, it's basically ten out of ten on, on almost every parameter. It's uh, like you referred to an abandoned quarry, so and it's uh, located sort of uh, uh, on the on the coast with immediate uh, access to to high quality uh, deep uh, water. Uh, it was uh, basically ready for construction when we took over it. They had been taking out rocks there for many years, uh, very limited lifting uh, heights uh, from the ocean or, or ocean surface to the to the facility, and it was completely flat. A lot of infrastructure, uh, uh, high capacity on the energy grid, uh, a lot of. Uh, competence in the region, uh, suppliers, uh, access to well boats, uh, slaughterhouses. Um, so, so it basically ticked all the, all the boxes. Um, and it's, a, it's also a huge uh, site. So, so you can, can have a, a, a quite intense, uh, a big uh, operation in, in a fairly small uh, place, which obviously make it uh, very efficient. As you're preparing for North American expansion, what's on your list, wish list? Like, what are the things that you liked in the Indraharoi location that you're hoping to find in North America? Or, I don't know, is that even possible? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, for us, Indraharoi is, is sort of the gold standard. Uh, so, uh, um, but I think we, we have to accept that you, you will not necessarily find everything you, you have at Indraharoi uh, elsewhere, but, uh, but at the same time, it's uh, perfectly uh, possible to find good uh, alternative sites uh, other uh, places so so but the most important thing we need uh, is uh, with our concept we need water uh, so we need to have uh, sort of water access uh, or and seawater access and and we need water of a certain call it quality and temperature uh, and this means that there are in terms of temperature, there, there's not every place we can be. Uh, we we need uh, we want because with our concept, we 
we we have a um, the same production throughout the, the year. We don't want to have seasons without in our facilities. We, this is a basically a salmon factory with the production lines. So so you want to have uh, same production in February during winter as you have in in August during summer, and then you need to control the temperature. So. So this means that uh, we cannot be in like the Middle East or the Mediterranean or, or in the Gulf of Mexico, but uh, but obviously Norway is fine, uh, and and both the northeast and northwest of America, North America is, is also uh, very well suited for uh, for this concept. So I think that's that's the most important thing, and and then obviously other things such as uh, topography uh, of the of the land is in, important. Uh, we all, uh, obviously also look at um, this bit infrastructure, uh, especially in North America. There are a lot of places are uh, very remote. Uh, you might not have access to to the energy grid, uh, and that's something that's very sort of expensive to 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 to, to get hold of if it's not already in place. So, uh, and and finally also this with. Uh, Existing value chains, uh, chains, uh, access to, to to people, and basically have a facility in a place where where you can get hold of uh, competent people uh, and a, a place where it's attractive to 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 live, because uh, we're going to be a big employer eventually. Is it too early days to share a an ideal timeline and when when you hope to kind of um, select a site in North America? We we have taken quite a methodical approach uh, on scanning the 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 coastline, uh, both on the west coast and and the and the east coast, and and this is a, a process that's still ongoing. Uh, and uh, with respect to site selection, um, I think it will be ongoing for uh, for some uh, more time. But uh, the, the ambition is to sort of over the coming months and quarters quarters to to narrow in on. On, on one or uh, more specific sites uh, and, and then to sort of really start uh, the, the, the focused work on, on developing a, a specific sites and, and, and doing the permitting work and, and, and so on. Ron, that's exciting to hear about all the progress that Salmon Evolution has had. And I want to congratulate you and the team on, um, on what seems to be a, a lightning fast project development in terms of construction and, and getting to the first harvest. Um, I think you said uh, per 22 months after you started, you were able to uh, to, to get going. Um, that's phenomenal. And um, it does sound like the site uh, allowed you to have some of those advantages for uh, a quick construction with the infrastructure and the, and the, the site being level. I would like to talk a little bit about the technology that you're using. It requires um, a good amount of water, as you said, of certain quality and temperature. Um, as I understand it, the system evolution, salmon evolution uses is a uh, hybrid flow through. In the U.S., we call that a partial water reuse system where the water, water reuse rates um, essentially go up to about 75, 80% water reuse on a flow basis. And there's no biofilter, so you're using water supplied to dilute out any ammonia that would build up and become toxic. And typically, you have to add oxygen for the appropriate level of biomass density in the system. And because you're adding oxygen, you have to remove carbon dioxide. So it's um, 
a simple system um, in, in the ones that I'm most familiar with in the U.S. that we've worked on. Um, but I think your system might be a little bit different than that. Can you explain how the water flows uh, starting with your ocean intake and then through the system? Yeah, uh, I think in essence, it's like uh, it's uh, very much like you said. And I think sort of uh, overall, our we we have a very strong belief in in this system because we we know from experience that uh, using water has a positive impact on on both the growth of the uh, of the fish and and sort of the overall well-being. So so we think that's uh, it's a very good thing, and it also give you it also gives you much more flexibility and redundancy in your, in your uh, operation. Uh, you, you are sort of able to control uh, things in a, in, in, a, in, in a much easier way than you are, for example, in a, in a facility where you have very high recirculation uh, level, where there's a much smaller margin of error um, in, in such an operation. So, so we basically take in water from the deep. Uh, so we have one pipe going down to... Uh, 95 meters, and so fairly deep water, and then we have one going down to 25 meter. So uh, we we and then take in water from where we find the best temperature. So uh, like in the summer, you have warm. The warmest water is on the uh, the higher up you uh, get, and and vice versa in the in the winter. So that's a way of conserving or uh, reducing the energy cost because we want to have the ideal temperatures all year around. And then it goes through into the facility. The water is filtered for particles uh, on its way in. Uh, it goes through a UV filter for disinfection, uh, and then it goes into the into the facility. And and uh, during winter, we 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 have to heat up the water a little bit to, to get to the ideal temperature. But but we are also reusing the heat from the wastewater. To, to with through heat exchangers to, to to get to the ideal temperature and this is a very energy efficient way and then then it goes into the uh, into the facility uh, we have about in our system about one third of the water is always new water and then we reuse uh, two thirds of the water and and in that reuse uh, loop we aerate um, the water for CO2 uh, and then we add oxygen. Uh, and I think that that's basically it. And all the wastewater it goes through a, a filter, a drum filter, to collect the waste on its way out, and uh, before you deliver it back to the to the ocean, fully filtered. We've been very uh, happy with sort of what we've seen uh, so far. And I think the the overall concept behind we what we do this is something that we've done in the smalt industry in Norway for decades since since the eighties. But but the, sort of the, I think the real innovation here is. Is the scale of things because when everything gets at this scale and everything is this big then then you need to have highly automated processes uh, and and we spent a lot of time on on sort of the automation system because uh, this large huge distances everything is very big heavy you you cannot rely on doing things manually so you have to have high degree of automation and, and that's uh, i think a real innovation for for the industry and, and how these facilities have been built in the in the past interesting thanks for that the the only real difference that i see between the partial reuse model that's used in north america and that is there's a um doesn't sound like there's a solids 
filtration as part of the 66% uh, internal recirculation for a given tank. And I know that each of your tanks operate independently. Mm. It's, it sounds more like the, thir- the 33% that is discharged is all combined and then screen filtered to remove um, any of the solids before they get to the environment. And then you send clean water to the ocean. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we, you filter out the, the 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 solids on on the on the thirty three percent wastewater that goes uh, goes out. And and what we do is that we uh, inside the the the, the, the tanks with the reuse uh, loop, uh, we take out that water where where we have the cleanest water within the tank. So that's sort of in the center at at the top because everything mm-hmm. falls down. So so at the top you have very clean water and that goes through a reuse loop and and then. On the, on the wastewater that is uh, sort of filtered and then we we collect the waste then you have a very uh, very low percentage of dry content in in the waste so then we have a dewatering uh, station where we uh, uh, increase the dry content to maybe like 25 percent and then we have a offtake agreement with uh, local farmers in the region uh, that have a bioreactor so they produce uh, biogas and also use the um, use it as uh, a fertilizer on the um, on on the fields. Yeah. So Excellent. so it's a very sustainable uh, sort of operation. Excellent. And just quick question on that um, agreement you have the offtake with the local folks who uh, digest it. Are they mixing the salmon manure with uh, other manure like dairy or cattle manure? Or yeah. They are. Yeah, they, they do that because you have to because um, the salt content uh, in the in the manure from uh, from the um, or in in the waste from from the, the salmon is sort of too high to put on the field, so so you mix it in with with uh, sort of their uh, uh, their own manure and and then uh, but it's a uh, uh, it's quite quite interesting because uh, it's a very high uh, it has a very good impact effect on on sort of their uh, operation as well because the the energy content and and sort of the mix uh, obviously salmon is uh, there's been a lot of development and innovation in and in, in how we feed the, the the fish so it's a sort of a very high uh, highly effective uh, um, waste material that we can can deliver so agreed uh, and you know you guys are to be commended for you know looking for those opportunities to you know be part of the you know circular economy essentially and you know we here at the institute we we have a program we call waste to value and is to take the waste from these uh these facilities uh, land-based fin fish facilities and, and turn it into a, a valuable waste stream and so things like digestion to create methane or or creating a, a compost or a fertilizer um, I think you know, that's an ideal outcome there. And of course, there are a couple others, but uh, you know, good on you guys for, for already making that happen um, at your current scale, which is you know, pretty large, you know, almost 8,000 tons a year. And of course, as you get larger, you'll have to deal with even larger amounts <laughs> of manure. And hopefully um, uh, your farmers and offtake agreements can, can sustain that. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that we hear in the industry about okay well we have to deal with solids but when we talk about yeah. the me- the mega the mega farms um uh that still presents some challenges because you know a hundred thousand metric tons in a single land-based facility say like at atlantic sapphire for their plan build out that's a lot of solids to just you know logistically deal with on a daily basis yeah so as as you get to the 
uh, you know, 7,900 and then double that. Um, I'm sure you'll be learning all those lessons about how to do it uh, effectively and, and efficiently. Um, uh, your your uh, hybrid model sounds really uh, great. Um, I assume, you know, you've had a great harvest, so you've been able to control water quality. One of the big drawbacks that some of our listeners will know about um, with systems that use a lot of water, use more water than say, a, you know, very low water exchange recirculation system is controlling temperature. And you mentioned that you have two intakes and you can mix the deep intake and the shallow intake to, to create temperatures, but that you have to heat. Um, I don't know if you're willing to say, but can you say what your target water temperature is for the grow out phase? Yes. So, so, so we basically want to have ideal temperatures. So, so, so we, we, from, uh, up to up to one kilo, we we use uh, around fourteen degrees Celsius, uh, and from one kilo and out uh, uh, and up, uh, it's twelve degrees Celsius. Right. Uh, and 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 obviously then with sort of that target temperature range, we we want to find sites where the natural ocean temperature at the these depths, because uh, we can go uh, deep to get uh, the water we uh we need but you don't want a too big gap between sort of our desired temperature and, and sort of the natural temperature and and then like what we have in in norway which i think would be very much similar at least um, uh, for example on the on the on the west coast uh, in in in, Nor in north america is that you have fairly fairly stable temperature and, and the delta on temperature that you need to sort of uh, adjust it is not that big, uh, and and then it's only like in the in the winter time you need to 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 heat the water uh, somewhat. Uh, but that's sort of a it's not it's not uh, sort of what you get out of productivity gains on on that, those adjustments is 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 quite um, quite amazing. But but I, I think it's very important, at least if you if you are to have a call it an industrial approach as to land-based salmon farming. You want to produce the same amount of fish every day because uh, that's the only way you can fully utilize the facility because uh, it's sort of, you have to sort of design an, uh, the facility based on sort of peak um, utilization. And then if, if you for a large part of the year aren't operating at, at peak utilization, I think that's sort of a very inefficient, inefficient use of, uh, of sort of your... Uh, of your capex. You, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the water supply lessons from phase one. Um, but I wanted to talk in general about like lessons learned from phase one that might influence the phase two build. And one of those was a recent event that took place this April, um, where an outbreak took place in the facility. I believe um, it was reported that there was somewhere between 0.3 to 7 to 8 percent mortalities um, that took place in the facility. What can you tell us about what happened there and how important it was to act swiftly when events like this happen? Yeah, as a general note, we, we have, uh, as I said, uh, sort of in the introduction, we've, it's gone very well. Uh, we've, we've had very strong biological performance. We've also had very low uh, mortality levels. Uh, and we've had been able to produce a very a good quality salmon with a very quick production cycle. But uh, uh, end of April, we, we suddenly saw a, a an increase an, an increase in in the daily uh, mortality levels. This was not like a 
mass sudden mass mortality event or or anything like that but it was a uh, and uh, and a sudden increase and uh, and this was um, caused by uh, AGD uh, uh, which is a common disease for the uh, conventional uh, salmon uh, industry so amoebic so kill we, disease for for our listeners yeah yeah, yeah. so it, it causes problems with uh, with gill health uh, and uh, obviously this is something that we took uh, very seriously when we became aware of it this is at the outset, this is not something that should be a problem for us because we are uh, uh, disinfecting the intake uh, water with uh, UVs. So, so uh, this was not uh, sort of on top of the list of uh, of sort of our risk uh, factors, but uh, but it is a very common challenge for the conventional industry. Uh, and obviously, taking in water from from the ocean, you there is a risk that you can get. Uh, uh, sort of contaminated uh, from from something on the on the on the outside, but uh, but this is also something that uh, that is sort of uh, there are well proven uh, treatment methods uh, for it, and and that's sort of namely by using fresh water. So so what we did when we uh, when we, we we saw the situation uh, coming is that we we obviously uh, we we lower the temperature because lower temperatures has a sort of uh, it slows down the the in infection we reduced the feeding uh, we also increased the uv dosage on the, on the intake water we had one batch that we were planning to start harvest regardless so so that was sort of uh, expedited and managed to get that out with i would say very good result in a in a strong market and and then uh, to to sort of handle the the problem we we initiated a plan to to do a freshwater treatment uh, this was not something that we were Sort of equipped for uh, sort of uh, at the at the outset, but we got hold of valboat capacity with uh, with fresh water production uh, capabilities. Um, that uh, took two weeks to 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 get in 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 place. So so I think that sort of an important lesson learned to to have that uh, sort of uh, ready on uh, on sort of with a very short re- response time. Uh, so but uh, but the, the treatment operation went very well i would say we saw an immediate uh, effect uh, and uh, an immediate reduction in in mortality and and we've had uh, i would say very good biological performance uh, uh, after the, the the treatment uh, and over the the, the last month or, or so so we definitely see that this is uh, something that is very manageable but but you need to have uh, have a very sort of uh, good readiness to to tackle it if it were to become an issue. So so what we will be doing now, be doing going forward, is that we we will maintain a higher UV dosage on the on the intake water to sort of avoiding this to be a problem at sort of the outset. In addition, we've also uh, installed and uh, have now fully operational a a, uh, a freshwater uh, production plant at our site so so then we have uh, yeah we can take action on immediate notice uh, so we don't have to so wait on on getting hold of um, uh, capacity uh, and we also then this gives us also an opportunity to because in a, in a land-based facility you are uh, transporting fish around within you you grow it to a certain size and then you split the tank in in two and, and transfer the fish so so by having on-site freshwater production, we can can have that as an integrated part of our fish transfer processes, which is uh, 
uh, and also that would enable us to do it in a very gentle uh, and humane way uh, uh, for 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 the salmon. So, so I think we are in a very good uh, position now. We've learned a lot from from this, and and really see that this is something that this uh, should be very manageable uh, going going forward. Yes, and I really appreciate you sharing some of those lessons and some of those best practices that you guys were able to implement within um, within this event, because a lot of our listeners themselves are farmers and operators. And, you know, it's always good to be able to share the knowledge in terms of what are the best practices, what are the protocols we can um, put in place to kind of make each other better and make the process better. And now um, I want to lean in a little bit into your own expertise um, and talk about Salmon Evolution as a publicly traded company and sort of the pros and cons that come with that. Um, Salmon Evolution is only one of the many aquaculture companies that are publicly traded. Other examples for our listeners can be Moe and Atlantic Sapphire and Salmar. Um, Salmon Evolution is being traded in the Oslo Exchange, I believe. Um, and yeah, so events like these, this, this particular one in April, the amoebic gill disease outbreak kind of causes a lot of bad headlines or it doesn't present the whole story or what goes beneath those bad headlines right and it can shake a lot of shareholders confidence and as a result if it affects the company's share prices and it affects the company economically so i want to lean into your expertise and share a little bit about some of your insights um as a previous chief financial officer and a chief executive and now a chief executive officer, um, what are the, mm. um, I guess, in general, let's start with what are the advantages and disadvantages um, of Salmon Evolution being a publicly traded company? I think for, for us as a company, obviously being, uh, being listed has been truly instrumental to sort of realize our, our business plans. Uh, it's... Um, it's sort of a way to, to be able to raise uh, risk capital and, and, and equity and, and you are appealing to a much broader uh, investor base when, when you have a public uh, to, uh, sh- share to, to, to that people can, can, can trade. So, so for us, it's been, uh, been instrumental and, and I think also this is a very capital intensive industry, a lot of... Uh, uh, so at least up until now, uh, a lot of the project has been heavily re- reliant upon equity uh, as sort of the main source of financing. We have managed to to get hold of uh, quite a lot of debt financing also at the attractive terms. And I think in also for the debt financing, it's uh, being listed uh, gives comfort to the banks, and that has sort of enabled us to to get the attractive. Uh, debt financing and I think obviously as you re- refer to the, the flip side is being listed it's obviously it's much more scrutiny you're reporting uh, your results you are reporting all news and events so so obviously when you are developing uh, a, a company it's uh, it's uh, more uh, comfortable to sort of go under the, the, the radar but, uh, but at the same time that's sort of just part of the package and I think has been important for for us, uh, especially sort of uh, after the, the event in April. This is for us. This is not a 
in monetary terms or, or it's not of very big uh, numbers but it's of obviously causes concerns and and then it's all about sort of educating the investor base so, so we spent a lot of time on talking to investor shareholders uh, analysts uh, etc and 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 then uh, but I, I think this is a new industry and there's been uh, there's been challenges earlier as well, and, and people are sort of cautious. Uh, but uh, but I think it it's sort of boils down to you have to have respect that uh, that there are still things to to learn, and 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 then it's sort of to, to to learn from the experiences you you have, and and be open on uh, both the opportunities, but also the the, the challenges. Um, and uh, but I think so. Sort of, at least uh, overall, uh, for us, it's been a very good experience being listed and sort of we really see that as sort of the, the way that we have been able to, to realize our, our plans. If there are potential listeners that are considering being publicly traded, what were the factors that propelled that decision for the company? I, I, I think because uh, we did like a pre-IPO uh, placement. So, so uh, and, and I think uh, several of the shareholders that sort of invested in the company wanted to, to see the company uh, listed uh, and and we also we, we raised some initial capital in in the beginning uh, when the company was private but uh, i think to realistically have a plan to sort of raise all the all the financing in a, in a good way then we saw the the public market as the as the best uh, sort of source of capital and but that may change over it depends on sort of the market sentiment, but but we 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 did our first or, or listing on this uh, Euronext growth sort of uh, in the fall of 2020, and this was sort of uh, uh, some six months after sort of COVID broke out, and and then sort of the initial shock had sort of uh, gone away, and, and you had a very good uh, market sentiment, especially for. For growth companies, it was very low interest rates, uh, huge uh, uh, interest for for everything that was sort of sustainability and and growth. So so, it, I think the timing was was very correct also for for doing a listing for for us at that time. Uh, today, it's much more difficult for for new companies to the public market. It, it's not it's not the same sentiment as as it was uh, back then for for companies. Um, uh, with, with a lot of growth plans and a lot of uh, capex in the in the future. Rhonda, I'd like to uh, wrap up the episode with a, a question to you about your perspective on the industry uh, in whole. So you have a unique view uh, in that you have a successful land-based salmon farm. And um, it's a little bit different than some of the other ones that are out there. You're not you know, fully recirculation and you have maybe a little bit less complexity in the recirculation part, but, you know, very much everything else is, else is the same. So typically when I ask this question, I say to folks, what are the biggest challenges you see, biological, technical, or financial? And on the biological side, it's um, the biological performance. It's sourcing uh, disease-free and high-quality genetics from a reliable supplier that, you know, you can count on, you know, monthly or, or bi-monthly deliveries of eggs. And the technical side is, is the water treatment so complex that you can't control the water quality, that it is just 
keeping your fish from their full performance because of the environmental control is not, you know, essentially up to speed, or is it raising the capital through debt or equity or the stock market? You know, which of those three do you feel is the biggest bottleneck for these large, fully recirculation facilities that, you know, are essentially citing a little bit almost independently of the water source? There are several challenges. So obviously now, if we take this of financial first, it's much more challenging now than it was uh, a couple of years ago to to, to raise the, the capital. That's a fact. Uh, but um, uh, at the same time, I, I see that there's a lot of interest in the space. Uh, there's a lot of capital uh, that sort of want to participate here. But I, I think also a lot of the investors want to see is actually succeeding. Because I think... Uh, if you go back a couple of years, uh, uh, a lot of people, and I think the capital market almost took it for granted that uh, took 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 the biology for granted that this is sort of uh, no problem. Uh, it's just to put up a site and produce uh, x amount of uh, or x volume of, of of salmon. And and I think what we've seen now, it it's not that easy. Uh, this is. Uh, this is it's all about biology uh, and it's not straightforward so so um i i think our approach in this has been to 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 have a concept where we feel the most conf uh, confident about the biology and our ability to actually uh, produce the sort of uh, designed uh, output of the facility because because one thing is it's no problem producing a salmon if you're if you're producing at very low densities and uh, and uh, like have a very low intensive uh, intensive operation, but uh, to make this profitable, you need to to have an industrial scale on it. You need to have sort of uh, high production within the facility and a solid throughput. Uh, and and in, in that respect, we we strongly believe that our approach that sort of a, a very uh, uh, yeah, I have a very good way of uh, achieving uh, that, and and then uh, I'm I'm sure that because uh, it is it's like if you add, it's all about sort of minimizing the complexity, and and the the more layers of complexity you add on top of each other, uh, the higher the risk of uh, everything falling apart, uh, and and we try to try to minimize that and and then i'm sure so over time the technology will improve and evolve uh, but so far, i think uh, uh, the way things are today we 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 feel very comfortable about our choice and but then we need to find um locations that so far suited for this uh, this approach as well yeah that really interesting answer tron so uh, we've done podcasts with uh, other folks who have uh, similar land-based facilities, not similar in design, but similar in terms of, oh, they're based on a location and, and they're not using full RAS. Uh, Matorka is the example that I use. We we had Arnie on, um, you know, maybe a couple of years ago and I had worked with them in Iceland on their design. And and uh, <clears throat> he, uh, your answer reminds me of his answer, which was, you know, that they, they mitigated the risk of the environmental control of full recirculation, essentially the biofilters by simplifying it and reducing the complexity so that they uh, felt confident in optimizing the biology. And it sounds, that sounds a little bit like what you just said. So um, mm. re really interesting. Um, and I wanna thank you for everything you've shared um, on, the, on the episode today. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be here. Thank you.
Gene, that was such an interesting conversation uh, with Trond really uh, from was. Salmon from Salmon Evolution, and ending on that note about how he feels that reducing their complexity of the project overall, probably from the site and from the technical details, really led to them having um, a really strong showing early on. And the way I see it is, if they follow this process that they've had uh, whether it's in norway as they expand or north america facility that uh, they they'll be successful yeah and i really appreciated the conversation you guys had that went into the details of that system and i really appreciated in particular what you guys talked about about how they are what are they doing with their wastewater yeah the reality is that we have to figure out ways to utilize what's coming out of these facilities both as a food product of course the salmon or other fish and the waste and turn that into something that is usable and is sustainable um, both at the initial scales like they're at right now the Mm -hmm. 7900 tons but also the full build-out scale which is you know four times larger than they are now And, and that's still an important challenge um, that the, these uh, RAS farms will have to figure out. And we hope, you know, at least in our program, we're researching some of those challenges and hope to help 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 along that process. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's not, it's definitely something, it's definitely not something that I think about every day in terms of, yeah, as you mentioned, as they scale up, as these volumes start to increase of waste, um, it's, it's good to kind of talk to them about what are they going to do about it and how are they going to be, um, stewards of their environment. So as as always, show notes for this episode and all our episodes are available on our website with links to articles, photos, and more extras about Salmon Evolution and about all the other projects that we've talked about in this podcast. So please go to rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. That's R-A-S-T-E-C-H magazine.com slash podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media and follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production, tailored and targeted technology. Thanks everyone for listening. See you next time.